Hey y'all, it's Professor J. So before we get started with this episode, I just wanted to give a quick content warning. Uh, Meet the Feebles is probably the most graphic movie we have ever discussed in class and ever will discuss in class. So I just wanted to throw out a quick content warning for there's some racism, there's some sexual assault, there's drug use and trafficking. There is more sexual content than I ever, ever thought I would see with puppets in my life. There's a scene involving a very detailed Vietnam War flashback. Um, There's a few different graphic deaths, and those are just things that we cover in the podcast. Um, There's also a song and dance number that gets pretty graphic about gay sex. We don't actually cover that part in the plot, but we do talk a little bit about it at the end. And things in this movie that we don't talk about in the podcast because we don't talk about the ending generally. Um, There is attempted suicide. There is gun violence. And yeah, I think that's pretty much it. But just bear in mind that this movie is, again, probably the most graphic movie we will ever discuss in class. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and jump right into the discussion with Dr. J. Fail Films 101 is not an actual college course and cannot be taken for college credit. It is not affiliated with any university, community college, junior college, vocational training program, or for-profit corporation masquerading as a school of any kind. Professor Jay has no formal training as an educator and, in fact, went to a Missouri State College for about two semesters, ran out of money, and dropped out as a result. And now that I've covered my own ass legally, let's get on with Fail Films 101. class and welcome to fail films 101 a pod class about the shittiest movies humankind has to offer and why we love them i'm your instructor professor jay and class is in session so y'all welcome to our first class suggestion episode and i could not think of a more buck wild one to start on holy jesus yes i literally just watched this movie for the first time in my life and so much has happened in it Wow. Did it change your life? It did change my life. It absolutely did. I have no words for it. No words. No words whatsoever. But we're going to try and find the words because that's what podcasts are for, right? Right on. So this movie is called Meet the Feebles. It is a 1989 classic from Peter Jackson. Yes, that Peter Jackson. The... Yes, the Peter Jackson, the Lord of the Rings Peter Jackson. And with me today is my good friend, Dr. J. Say hi, Dr. J. Hi, Dr. J. So hopefully that won't get too confusing with Dr. J and Professor J, but we got PJ and DJ. Doc and Prof. Yes, perfect. So what we usually do with the format is we start off with the production of the movie. And as mentioned before, this is a Peter Jackson film, and it is it is wildly different from Lord of the Rings. It was originally conceived as a television series, believe it or not, and it only belatedly became a movie after Japanese investors proposed expanding upon it. So as a result, they wound up hastily rewriting it and the dialogue was actually recorded before the shooting began and as i'm sure many people will be able to tell by watching it it was very low budget considering the time-consuming process of the puppetry basically because this is for those of you who have seen avenue q this is basically the avenue q answer to the muppets except avenue q came after meet the feebles so who knows maybe avenue q was inspired by meet the feebles i think that's possible possible yes have you seen avenue q you know what i haven't i've always meant to but i have not 
Oh, if you liked Meet the Feebles, you will love I Avenue will love, Q. yeah, yeah, I need to see it. It's so good. I Apparently, an initial application for film commission money for this movie, because this was filmed in New Zealand and they run things a little differently than we do, but the initial application was rejected by the executive director, Jim Booth, who a short time later wound up becoming Peter Jackson's producer, so... They did eventually grant the production two-thirds of its $7,500,000 budget. But apparently, the relationships between the funders and the production soured, and the film commission removed its credit from the film. There's not a whole lot of information listed on the production of this film. So how about we just go ahead and dive right into the plot, shall we? Go for it. All right. So, as mentioned before, this is... A blatant parody of The Muppet Show. So it opens up with a very Muppet Show-esque opening. You you know how song and dance number, it's The Muppet Show. Well, this is basically this, but, you know, with the feebles. And for the most part, it seems like wholesome family fun. Until we see an elephant in kind of a BDSM-ish costume cracking a whip. Which lets you know right off the bat, there's, you're in for a treat. <laughs> You said urine. <laughs> well, I mean, you did it. I mean, you're not wrong. I, I did say urine. Right. You are in for a treat. Is that better? <laughs> I mean, either way, I prefer actually urine for a treat, especially with the emphasis oh, yeah. on urine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're in for a treat. So we see a Kermit the Frog Bugs Bunny crossover, basically, in the beginning, jumping out of a carrot. And then we see a Miss Piggy-esque character, except she is a hippo with titties. Because why not? Why not? Yeah, like you do. I mean, is it really a Muppets parody without hippo titties? Probably not. Probably not. But we find out her name is Heidi. And behind the scenes, we see a ruppet, uh, a puppet that is a rat. <laughs> or a ruppet. <laughs> yes, a ruppet. Ruppet, rat puppet, same thing. Right. So we see him, we find out later his name is Trevor, and he gets in a tiff with Heidi, and Heidi storms off. This is not the first time that Heidi storms off. In fact, I'm pretty sure Heidi storming off is probably about a third of the movie. Right on. And then we meet the director, who is a fox, and he's basically yelling at Trevor for making Heidi storm off. What's funny is I don't remember ever actually finding out the name of the fox director in the movie itself. I don't think they ever actually say his name. But I Hmm. found on the Wikipedia page that his name was Sebastian. His name was Sebastian, which when you get to know this character a little bit more, that makes a lot of sense because I feel like Sebastian is a very, very gay name. Spoiler alert, Sebastian's gay. No way. I know, it's very hard to believe. Never happens. No one's ever gay. Oh, never. No. Homosexuality does not exist. That's fake. Fake news. But anyway, so Sebastian basically yells at Trevor for making Heidi storm off because she's the star of the show and there's no feebles without Heidi. And Heidi makes her way backstage and pounds on an office door. Behind this door is a walrus and a hairless cat having sex. I mean, if I had a nickel for every time behind a door there was a walrus and a hairless cat having sex, I mean, I could retire. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's just how nature works. Yeah. 
when a walrus and a hairless cat love each other very much. Who is that guy that's, wait, who is that guy that sang that song, When a Man Loves a Woman? That's a good question. Because he should have sung that about them. Let's see, When a Man Loves a is Woman. It, is it Bill Withers? No. Percy Sledge? According to Google, it was Michael Bolton. No, it, okay, Michael Bolton did it again, but like, it wasn't Michael Bolton to start with. Let's find out. Or, Percy Sledge, you were right. Okay, okay. Phew. Okay. Michael Bolton. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, let's see. We were talking about the walrus and the cat having sex. Right! We were talking about a walrus and a cat having sex. I'm sorry, I don't know how we digress from that. But yeah, that's what happened. That's perfectly okay. I like to refer to this, especially my guest episodes, as ADHD the podcast. Right! Right. Heidi bursts in, and the cat hides in the closet. We later find out the cat's name is Samantha. And let's see. Sorry, I, ha I don't know why I took my glasses off. That was not the best decision on my part for note reading. Anyway, so she storms backstage. The cat is in the closet. We find out the walrus's name is Bletch. He stops mid-coitus and opens the door to let her in. And Heidi's complaining about Trevor. And she's like, I won't perform if he goes off on me one more time. And then she notices the smell of somebody else's perfume. And Bletch is like, oh, you're imagining things. And basically tries to rush her out the door before she sees Samantha's tail. And she's like, oh, come to my room later to Bletch. And Bletch was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And Heidi leaves, Samantha comes out of the closet, and basically is like, when are you going to dump her? And he's like, I'm working on it. And backstage, we see, we later find out he's a hedgehog, but because I was, I was taking these notes in real time, I put a beaver or porcupine or something. <laughs> you weren't certain. It was, it was unclear. <laughs> it was something with teeth and... The way that the puppet made it look, it could have been either fur or quills. Right, if you're just going to stop with something with teeth, I'm like, you. I mean, that's pretty much everything. That doesn't really differentiate a whole lot. I mean, it's probably not a shrimp or a seahorse. Other than that, it's 98% of land creatures. Right. That, that aren't elderly. Anyway, we see the hedgehog, who I initially thought was a beaver or a porcupine, with a suitcase. And he's received a letter asking him to report to the stage manager. The cast and crew are all basically too busy and they're ignoring him, except for the biggest fly I have ever seen in my life. The biggest and most terrifying fly I have ever seen. It will probably yes. haunt my nightmares. Of all of the things that are in this movie that we will disguise, somehow the fly is what scarred me the most. Really? Yes. I don't know why. I think that says a lot about my mental state, but it was certainly something. And obviously from the get-go, the fly's giving off some strong villain vibes. Okay. Okay. That's why then. And he's asking the hedgehog to fill him in on any gossip that happens, basically gives him his card. And then the fly leads him over to a worm in a sweater who is named Arthur, and he introduces himself as the stage manager. And Arthur's like, yeah, stay away from that guy, because he's got nothing better to do than to make up gossip about the cast. And Arthur introduces Robert to the rest of the cast, and he locks eyes with Lucille, who is also relatively new. And I think she's some kind of poodle or something. That's also very unclear. But 
she you can tell that she's a girl because she has eyelashes clearly because men can't have eyelashes not at all not in the slightest it's only women that have eyelashes right (laughs) men good luck keeping dust particles out of your eyes right and women can't have eyebrows so there you go yeah it get one or the other but we need to be very segregated by like very specific things exactly so it's love at first sight as you can tell by the music swelling in the background music adds so much to films robert curls up in embarrassment as we all do when we see pretty girls from across the room that's life and the other girls in the chorus kind of riff on lucille for a little bit because it's obvious that she thinks he's cute too and yeah you know like when you see your friend who definitely thinks somebody's cute and you're just like hey and you're gonna nudge him and you're like hey hey you're gonna do something about that hey then for some reason we just see a shot of heidi running down the street i'm not quite sure why it doesn't really lead to anything it was a little unnecessary but it was interesting to say the least to watch a hippo running down the street with her titties bouncing maybe that's why they put it in entirely possible i think that this movie is responsible for an entire generation of furries oh my god i think you're right makes a lot of sense doesn't it yeah i think so we cut to robert backstage he's watching one of his castmates perform a song on on the piano it's very much i forget the name of the band from the muppets but it's it's definitely got that vibe now it's gonna drive me nuts if i don't google the name of the band from the muppets I was going to say, I'm tempted to Google the name of the band from the Muppets. Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. That's right. I knew it had something to do with teeth and electric, but my brain was going to the horrible Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Oh yeah, with Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. And the horrible design for Sonic with the horrifying realistic human teeth. Yeah, that shouldn't have been done. But anyway, it's got a strong Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem vibe, except it's basically one guy and a piano, and he is absolutely stoned, and you can tell because he's got a doobie in his mouth. Well, that gives it away. I know, right? No no subtlety whatsoever there. And Robert's, you know, completely enamored because he's like, oh boy, I'm, I'm finally a part of this show because he had mentioned in the very beginning that he was a big fan of the feebles like growing up and stuff and it's a dream to be here and trevor gets in robert's face and is basically like oh you're the new guy piss off that's pretty much it and then he goes on about how he wants to have sex with lucille and he gets a boner so that was that was fun never thought i would see a ruppet boner but here we are And then another one of the performers who is a crocodile, I don't think we ever find out his name. He's either an alligator or a crocodile, it's never specified. He is a Floridian swamp cat, let's go with that. Hey, do you know how you tell the difference between an alligator and a crocodile? One says see you later and the other says after a while. You ruined my joke! No, I'm sorry. I grew up with the king of dad jokes. Right, well, yeah, yeah, that's true. What was I going to say? A crocodile alligator? Yes. He comes up to Trevor and basically begs him for drugs or he won't be able to perform. And Trevor takes what's left of his money and he's like, well, this should cover part of what you owe me. And then he says that he owes him another $50 by six o'clock. And then this adorable, this is a completely different scene at this point. This adorable little bitty fish comes up to Bletch and asks if he can audition for the Feebles. And he performs this cute little song. Bletch, however... Besides, he's hungry. 
and asks the fish to look for a cavity in his mouth, and then he eats the fish whole, which was very sad, but it happened. That's life. Walruses or whatever eat fish on a regular basis. Probably true. I don't know a whole lot about marine biology. I'm not a marine biology expert. I'm a bad movie expert. And Robert starts rehearsing what he's going to say while asking Lucille out because he's adorable and that's what he does. And Arthur is basically watching him from the sidelines because Arthur also thinks it's adorable. And Lucille comes out of the dressing room. Robert flubs everything he says, but that's okay because she doesn't even notice. And Arthur, after seeing this, is like, hey, why did you come over to my office for a cup of tea? And then I guess they go and discuss his next move. I don't know. And Bletch and a bulldog named Barry leave the theater to go play golf for a little bit, which seems boring now, but I guess it's important in a little bit. And then we get to see Samantha, the cat from earlier, making fun of Heidi for her weight. Heidi calls her a cheap pussy, her exact words and slaps her. They get into a fight. I would say a cat fight, but one of them's a cat and the other's a hippo, so that would be a bit one-sided. Samantha admits that Bletch actually wants her and not Heidi. Heidi, once again, storms off, as she does. Robert starts performing a song for Lucille outside of her dressing room. Arthur's watching from the shadows like Cyrano. It's adorable. Except, you know, he doesn't actually tell him what to say, so it's not quite like Cyrano. It's more just like watching your friend be cute i guess that analogy really fell apart (laughs) (laughs) lucille opens her door and robert kind of stops for a little bit and arthur's like no no keep going and even lucille's like no keep going i was enjoying it and then his adorable little song turns into an opera number robert's like oh this is stupid i'll leave you alone but lucille loves it arthur starts crying and if that's not the most relatable thing in the world i don't know what is then do you, do you remember Chuzzles, Dr. J? It was a game on the internet for a little bit called Chuzzles. Okay. Like those color matching games where you line up the different shapes of the same color and it's like three in a row. Okay. And basically they, they were different colored adorable puffballs with eyes. Okay. And that's what these little creatures in this next scene remind me of. Okay. Because they're adorable little puffballs with eyes and they're all different colors. And they are wreaking havoc in the elephant's dressing room. We find out the elephant's name is Sid, but basically they remind me of Chuzzles. So I'm just gonna refer to them as the Chuzzles. Chuzzles. They're adorable and I want 50 of them. But of course, because they're, you know, wreaking havoc and destroying the dressing room, Sid tosses them out. And then out of nowhere, a barrel comes rolling through and crushes all of them. Oh, that's very sad. Was very sad. And then Sid's like, oh no, I spent weeks training them. I guess, like, and obviously your training wasn't going very well, Sid, if they were destroying your um, dressing room. But And then Trevor picks one of the dead chuzzles up and eats it. Oh, I had forgotten about that. Yeah, it was a, it was a fairly graphic scene. I was just like, oh, that should probably be more horrifying than it is to me. Oh well, it was probably a bit more horrifying by 1989 standards. Yes. And then, yeah, so Trevor eats one of the chuzzles. We cut to Bletch and and Barry golfing. There's also a warthog named Cedric there. And Cedric's a surprisingly good golfer. (laughs) Oh my god. 
Yeah. Considering that his golf clubs are covered in spikes for some reason, I think because he uses them as a weapon. Wow. Which you wouldn't think that would make for very good golfing, but I guess it does. Well, golf clubs sometimes have nubs on them, like on the face, like little tiny nubs, but not spikes. Yeah, they were definitely spikes. And it was just like, why is that necessary? I guess to kind of help with his tough guy image. I don't know. Right. We got back to the theater. Sid's talking to Arthur about his problems. Aside from the chuzzles being crushed. Apparently his ex is trying to slap a paternity suit on him. And he's like, the kid's not mine. The kid's not mine. And then his ex comes in. His ex is a chicken named Sandy. And she's pushing like a pram. Like an old school pram. I love your choice of words. I mean, that's what it is. There's a difference between a stroller and a pram. I mean, I love that you just used pram. And earlier you said coitus. And I was just, oh my god. It just warmed my heart. Pram and coitus. I was a creative writing minor in college. Okay. All right. I gotcha. She's pushing the pram. The baby inside is an adorable monstrosity. The most adorable monstrosity I have ever seen in my life. It has a chicken body, mm-hmm. elephant uh, elephant hands. I use the term hands loosely, but like it seems like it has, you know, chicken arms, but on the ends of the chicken arms are elephant feet. And an elephant head. And Arthur just looks at the baby and looks at Sid and goes, Oh, he's got your eyes. I probably laughed about that for a solid 20 minutes. I cut to a scene of Heidi crying and eating and going through a photo album to relive her glory days. And we see a black and white scene of her singing. And it basically appears to be the 1940s. She's singing in a club. And Bletch is checking her out from the bar. And after she's done... Fletch buys her a drink and flirts with her and offers to be her agent, and then they make out. That's how those things go, right? Right. I've never been approached by a stranger at a bar who offered to be my manager and then made out with me, but... I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think. I'm pretty sure... No. No, that has never happened to me. We cut back to the present day, and Heidi's continuing to sob into her cake. I mean, if that's not a huge mood, I don't know what is. Cake sounds good. I wish I had some cake. Oh my god, me too. So we go back to the golf course. Barry and Bletch are basically doing a drug deal right in the middle of the golf course with Cedric, which is so smart. Let's just have this drug deal in this public place. And then Bletch just kind of throws up the fish from earlier. Oh, geez. That's terrible. It is horrible. The fish uh, looks up and is like, did I pass the audition? And then either passes out or dies. I'm not quite sure which, honestly. It's never made clear. So the bunny from from earlier that we see, Harold, is having a threesome with two other bunnies. Because why not? They're bunnies. Mm -hmm. Also, there's a lot of strobe lights in this scene. So if you have epilepsy, maybe skip this scene. That's a really useful warning. There was another movie that we covered with that as well. I think House had a lot of strobe oh. light effects as well. Mm-hmm. So I I had to make sure to like say that as well. I have a friend who I'm not sure if she listens regularly or not, but I know that she has epilepsy. So I try to make that very right. very clear for her and anyone else listening who may have epilepsy. Skip through this scene. Right. Or maybe don't watch this movie. Either or. Or avert your gaze. Yes, avert your gaze. <laughs> If you're watching this movie and you see Bletch throw up the fish, avert your gaze until you hear the rabbits not having sex anymore. Wow, that's a sentence I never thought I would say in my life. So there's a lot of strobe lights, and I'm not quite sure what animal this is, but it has a long nose and 
it's very creepy looking. It's obviously not an elephant because it's not huge. Mm-hmm. But it has a very... It might be an anteater, now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. Or an aardvark. Something along those lines. But anyway, this creepy animal is watching from the keyhole and masturbating. Because why not? How scandalous. Right? And Harold catches him, knocks him over the head, and then goes back to his threesome. That wouldn't kill the mood at all, catching somebody peeping on you, but... Mm-hmm. Whatever. I, I mean, rabbits, high sex drive, it's what they're known for. And not long after that, speaking of scandalous sex things, Robert walks in on some kind of bug. I think it's a grasshopper. I don't know. But it's whipping a cow... And it's very obviously like a BDSM. But Robert is very pure and innocent and does not realize what's happening. So he runs up to the bug and punches him in the face, trying to defend the honor of the cow. That's very bizarre. Yes, this whole movie is very bizarre. I know, I know. I'm acting like it's so normal. And just sprinkled with these oddities but that's not true it's just everything happens so much the movie then we hear somebody yelling cut and it's trevor and he's explaining to robert that he ruined his film and robert's like oh i'm sorry i didn't realize this was a this was a movie and i wouldn't exactly call it a movie obviously but while this exchange is going on the cow sits down on the bug and kills it and after robert leaves you know she stands up and the bugs there and trevor is like um you you killed my actor that didn't even feel that didn't feel any you didn't feel that underneath you and she was like well it was a little bit uncomfortable but i thought that was my hemorrhoids and i think that's the scene that broke me (laughs) really that was the one i think that was the first of the scenes to break me okay you must be really broken Yes. (laughs) A lot of these movies have broken me that we've watched. Um, The scene from Birdemic, Shock and Terror. A couple of the scenes from Birdemic and Shock and Terror really broke me, but I don't think they were quite as breaking as this one. There's the theme song for you now. The one from the... um, Oh, is it Kelly Clarkson, I'm Broken and It's Beautiful? You could sing that now. It's true. I could. Right? Anyway, they take the corpse of the bug and feed it to some kind of monster that's lurking in, I guess, the water. I don't know why they have access to, like, the creek where they are indoors, but... Actually, I don't think it's a creek. I think it's either a river or a sewer. It's never really made clear. It's a body of water, and there's a monster in it for some reason. And they feed the bug to the monster, and... Then Trevor's like, well, I guess we could sell this as a snuff film. Maybe it's the River de Pair. It's entirely possible. I think it might be the River de Pair. That would explain it. You a know, lot. body of, I'm not sure if it's a body of water or a sewer. And I'm like, it's the River de Pair. That's exactly what it is. So the cow who was in this BDSM film has, tells Trevor that he'd better find a replacement for her because she doesn't do self abuse. And Trevor says he knows just the guy. And we see the creepy anteater from earlier, whose name we find out is Dennis. And he catches him sniffing panties. Because why not? And he's like, hey, 
Want to be in my movie? <laughs> Except it's way creepier than that. And then we get back to the crocagator. He's got the shakes, and he's rehearsing his his uh, talent for the variety show, which is a knife-throwing routine with another puppet. That doesn't go very well. The first few throws go perfectly fine. Until, I think, the third or fourth one, when he stabs his volunteer in the stomach and she dies. Accidents happen. Yeah, but instead of, you know, actually caring about the murder, well, not murder, the manslaughter that just happened on stage, Sebastian, the director, is just like, okay, let's just go to the next act. And that next act is basically an opera. And it's happening in, like, the middle of a battle scene. And Robert is out of place in the scene. He's holding, like, a red pendant, and the director's like, hey, what are you doing? And Robert's like, um, it would be historically inaccurate for me to just stand in one place. My character would be patrolling the moats. And the director's like, this is a variety show. We don't necessarily care about historical accuracy here. And in the middle of this exchange, Arthur comes on stage, and he's like, um... Yeah, this actress isn't going to make it. Maybe we should just scratch this whole knife-throwing act. And Sebastian's like, no, I think I know just the person to, or just the feeble to replace her. And then he kind of looks at Robert. So we all know what's going to happen there. Mm. That's fun. We cut back to the porno. Another sentence I never thought I'd say. This This whole thing is full of sentences I never expected to say in my life. Right. But we cut back to the porno, and Dennis can't get it up. Which we're not quite sure if he's talking if we're talking about his genitals, his nose, or if his genitals are his nose. They might be one in the same. Could be. It's entirely possible, and it's actually kind of implied that his genitals are his nose. That's delightful. So Dennis can't get it up, and Trevor gives him some panties to sniff, and that seems to do the trick, and they start having sex on camera using his nose. <laughs> I, I have no words for that scene. It's something I never expected to see in my life. It's very special. It's a very special moment. We cut to Harry, and he's having a freak out in the mirror. And he seems to be sick or high, or both, who knows? It could be anything at this point in the movie. The fly from earlier is sitting in the toilet of this bathroom that Harry is in. Literally eating shit. It's very train spotting. Yes, it really is. And it, when did train spotting come out? Because that could have been inspired by that, or train spotting could have been inspired by this movie. Oh, I think train spotting was like, I'm gonna guess sometime like 93, 94, 95, something like that. I'm gonna look it up. Close, it's 96. Oh. Well, there you go. But yes, it makes me wonder if if the if the writer of Train Spotting got the idea after watching Meet the Feebles. Quite possibly. It's very possible. I think this movie would be enough to inspire a lot of different movies. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if, as mentioned before, Avenue Q got the idea from this. So 
the fly, is, he's in the toilet and he's eating shit. And he basically tries to get Harry to spill what's going on with him. And Harry tries to flush him. Like, he closes the lid of the toilet and tries to flush him. But the fly flies out of the toilet and starts basically taunting Harry. And he's like, I'm going to find the truth, even if I have to make it up. So, next scene, uh, Robert is approaching the crocagator in his room. And basically he's like, hey, I'm going to be your new assistant for the knife throwing thing. And the crocagator basically starts asking him for every drug he can think of. And then we find out that he's an addict because he was a Vietnam vet and he has seen some shit. Understandably so. And then we see a very, very long scene about his uh, days in Vietnam. And we see some racist caricatures of Vietnamese beavers. Which is another sentence I never thought I would say in my life. Right. But, like, it's very clearly, like, supposed to be a racist caricature of Vietnamese people in beaver form. And I was just like, wow, that's certainly something. Right. And he uses his story to basically scam Robert out of his money. And he's saying, oh, the Vietnam Vets Association is severely underfunded. We could use your donations. And Robert puts some money in his cup and... The crocagator is like, oh, it's a minimum donation of 50 bucks. So Robert gives him even more money. Mm-hmm. And now he has his drug money. So then we actually see the porno that they were filming for a brief moment. And apparently Bletch is in on this little adult film side business. And they're talking the like logistics of everything. Bletch, Bletch and Trevor are. And they're talking about how they lost money on their last two films featuring Madame Bovine, which is the um, which is the name of the the stage name of the cow, whose real name is Daisy. Mm-hmm. And they've decided that they need to find somebody younger and more petite. And Trevor turns his eyes towards Lucille. And we cut back to the show, and the director's ready for the next act, which is the contortionist. And he's meditating. He's I think he's supposed to be like their answer to the Swedish chef because he's the only human-looking picture, the only human-looking character in this troop of feebles. But you know, because he is Indian, it's a more—I would say—it's a more racist caricature than the Swedish chef is. Right. And basically, he's like, "Oh, it's time to." go on and he's like um you can't really interrupt meditation bud but he's like i don't really care five minutes we cut back to harry he's pouring himself a drink and he is tripping hard and he falls down the stairs the doctor comes in he's like oh only one disease fits these symptoms it's the big one i need a list of your sexual partners for the last 12 months and the doctor's like you've got 12 months to live at the most and harry is like Go ahead and put me in the show anyway. I want to go out with my reputation intact. The fly is hiding behind a light bulb and hears everything. We got to the contortionist act, which starts off with him uh, doing a snake charming act with Arthur as the snake. And again, I was typing these notes in real time while this was um, happening. So I was like, I don't know why they call him a contortionist if they're doing a snake charming act. And then the next note is, okay, now he's contorting. <laughs> He gets his head literally stuck up his own butt. That's a problem. Yeah, I would imagine it's a fairly common problem with contortionists. It can happen. 
And as usual, Sebastian doesn't care about the medical problems of his cast, and he kicks the contortionist ball down the stairs. And the director, because at this point I didn't know Sebastian's name, so the notes just say the director, runs into Belch's office, or Bletch, Bletch's office, and says that the show is in shambles, and he basically begs for his own song to be reinstated. And Bletch is like, I don't know, um, this is kind of a family show, the network's not really going to go for it. Except he says it much more harshly than that. And the director uh, tries to do a run-through of the song and dance that he wants to perform, and before he can finish, Bletch kicks him out and calls him the F-slur. And then we cut to Heidi, she's in a bakery, and she asks for just one truffle. But she eats all the truffles. And then she eats a cake. And then she eats all the cake. And then she slips in the icing. And honestly, same. We've all been there. Have you ever just wanted to eat a whole bakery? Yes. It's just the story of my life. Like, I can't even go into MacArthur's without being like, I want to eat everything in sight. The fly manages to snap a picture of Harry and tries to get him to comment on his fatal disease. Harry's like... This is slander and libel, and the fly reads the quote from the doctor back to him. Harry basically tries to bribe the fly with his life insurance money, and then he's like, hold on, let me go get it let me, so I can sign it over to you. He grabs bug spray and tries to kill him. Mm. Doesn't work. Doesn't work at all. And the fly flies off. Okay, so I did wind up cutting the discussion of this particular scene at the last minute because it does involve sexual assault, as mentioned in the content warning. So, um... Yeah, that's why there's a little bit of a gap here. Just a heads up, I didn't feel comfortable leaving that part of the discussion in, so we'll go ahead and move right on to the next scene. This movie should probably not be remade anytime soon. Oh yeah, it probably shouldn't be remade. It probably even shouldn't be allowed to be produced. It should probably just be burned or something. (laughs) I mean, if we burn it, though, we might awaken some like evil spirit that, that lurks within the negative. Oh, that's true. And, and we don't it. need to unleash that. You have a good point. Yeah, don't do that. So maybe don't burn this movie. And we cut to Heidi's song and dance, and she's burping the whole time because of the cakes. Thank you, do. Yeah. She stands on a swing, breaks in, the swing breaks and falls into the water. The water splashes onto the electric fan that is providing the, um, the wind effects, and the fan being sprayed with water electrocutes the crew member who's in charge of it so the fan goes into high gear knocks everybody on the set over and sebastian accuses her of overeating again apparently her contract states that she's not supposed to eat too much chocolate before a show and heidi runs off crying and the rest of the set collapses heidi runs into bletch's office because she's distraught and um bletch is getting a blowjob from samantha which I did not realize it was possible for walruses to get blowjobs, but anything is possible in this movie. And yet here we are. And let's see. So she runs out crying and basically just destroys her dressing room and barricades herself in. The drugs from the deal earlier are now being delivered. Barry is picking them up and he brings the drug dealer into Bletch's office. Barry cuts a line and 
suddenly Dennis, the creepy anteater aardvark thing, comes in. And Bletch is like, oh good, you're here. How about a line? And he's like, don't mind if I do. And then he does the line, and it basically kills him slowly and agonizingly. It turns out it's Borax. And the delivery guy's like, oh, I'm just as surprised as you guys are. But Barry, you know, strangles him for information. And then he spills the beans. Apparently the merchandise is at the docks. They use the remaining Borax to kill this guy. And then they go grab some weapons and start to head out. But Sebastian catches them before they leave. And he's like, um, the show is off. Heidi's barricaded herself in her room. She won't talk to anybody. And the network refuses to do the show without her. So Bletch goes into her dressing room and offers to have sex with her, which she immediately accepts, because I guess if there's one thing to break you out of your depression and relationship issues, it's a good, solid sex session. Sex with a walrus. Yes. Sex with a walrus just fixes anything, I guess. It's a treatment of choice for many conditions. So after that, they announce that he he exits the room and announces that the show is back on. But of course, everybody, the whole cast, waits outside and listens to everything. That's not awkward at all. I guess it's like when you're a teenager and somebody's hooking up in the master bedroom at a party. <laughs> Something like that. Perhaps. After that goes on, Barry and Bledge make their way to the docks. Cedric is there with a giant crab. And there's a couple of different giant crabs here, which was also very unsettling, but it also really made me want crab legs. Mmm. I was both slightly disturbed and hungry, which was a new combination of emotions for me. Well done. Yes. This movie introduced a lot of firsts for me. So, Bletch's car rams right into the crab and drives off. Cedric chases after the car, and then they ram into another crab and kill it. And Barry and Trevor get out of the car and beat the ever-loving bejesus out of the remaining crabs. Cedric finally catches up to the rest of them, but Barry grabs the knife that one of the crabs was um, had on them and stabs him and kills him. And they gather up the rest of the drugs from the docks to load them up into the car, but... For some reason, there's a giant spider above all of them, witnessing everything. How high was Peter Jackson when he did this? Very. I feel like you have to be incredibly high to play any role in this movie, be it director, actor, writer, viewer. Catering. <laughs> yes, I feel like a lot of... Alcohol and drugs were involved in the making of this movie. Yes. The giant spider is above them, witnessing everything. The spider grabs Barry and rips his head off. And Trevor and Bletch make it back to the car. They manage to escape the spider, but Mr. Big, the giant sea monster from earlier, it seems, they look very similar at least, tries to stop them. He fails, and they get away. Cut back to the show. Everybody's getting ready. The fly reveals to Harry that his news story has already broken, and it's on the front page of the newspaper that's being sold outside the theater, which Bletch sees as soon as he gets back there. And that's where we'll go ahead and leave it, because as always, we don't want to spoil the ending. But we will talk about that song that Sebastian sings, which is a song about how much he enjoys swallowing. Or at least that's how it starts off. And then it turns into a whole song about sodomy. 
His words, not mine. So now that we have made it through the plot of this movie, let's move on to what makes it special, shall we? Yes. What do I think makes this special? I think, oh gosh, I think the fact that it is just such, it's the bizarre combination of, so you take something that's like Muppet-like and clearly influenced by that. So like, and then juxtapose that with all the themes that they're dealing with. I mean, this is like sick and perverse and seedy and nasty and freaky. And it's just, I mean, I, I think it's because it's so unbelievable. Like, I mean, I realize this is really judgmental of me, but I'm thinking, why did somebody actually make this? Like, this is so messed up. Why would you put your time and effort into it? Now, one could reasonably say, well, you're watching it, so what's wrong with you? But I would argue it's less of a time investment for me to watch it and also say to other people, hey, this is really messed up. You should watch this. It's kind of like when you take some milk out of the refrigerator and it's like totally rotten. We never keep that to ourselves as human beings. We're like, hey, I think this has totally gone bad. You should smell this. I don't know why, but people are weird. So That's the most accurate, the best analogy you could have possibly used for this. No, I'm known for my analogies. I'm just going to say I am. So That's so perfect. That's, that's my thought. I have to agree with you wholeheartedly on that. And I wouldn't say it's judgmental to say, why would somebody make this? Because that's a question that I ask myself on, I want to say, practically every episode of this. Because mm -hmm. you look at 98% of the movies that we've covered so far, and it's like, why did somebody like make this their magnum opus? And So here's my thought about that. When you're actually making a movie, so it's like, I mean, if you think about it, they take words on a page and then they create something that's like visual and you've got other people involved and actors and actresses and costuming and lighting and music and just how that all plays out. I think more than we realize, I think people can't really control that as much as you might think. And so they don't know how it's going to come out because as another example, the movie Showgirls, when they made that, do you think that they were like, oh boy, I really hope, and I can't remember her name, Elizabeth, who's the actress that's in Showgirls who used to be on um, Saved by the Bell? I want to call her Jessie Spano, but that's not her name. Um, but when she was in that movie, I don't think they hoped she acted like that. I think... You know, that's just the best she could do when they went with it. So I think that's part of the reason is people end up making magnum opuses that are crap because, you know, you just go for it and you make something and you see what the final product is. It does make a lot of sense because you never know how it's going to be, like, especially with filming, because, you know, I don't know how to put this into words, but like things look so good live. But then you record it, and it's just not the same. Mm -hmm. 
a lot of the time. I mean, obviously that's not necessarily true of good movies, but you know, I guess filming a bad movie is kind of like being at a concert. It might look great live, but nobody wants to see it recorded. It's just not the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Probably why no recordings of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child exist for good reason. I feel like I read, I read the script that was released of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child and that alone was, oh boy. Not good. It was not good. If this were a podcast about bad, not movies, I would cover that. Mm -hmm. But right. So was there anything else that you wanted to add, Dr. J? I think that's about it. That's my summation. I think that is probably like the most accurate and thorough what makes this special that I have seen thus far. So thank you for that. And thank you so much for introducing me to this monstrosity. <laughs> yes, this monstrosity that I will never be the same after watching. I will never look at Peter Jackson the same way again. And now when I go and I watch Lord of the Rings, all I can think, all I'll be able to think is the visionary director who is responsible for all this recorded a scene of a puppet of a walrus having sex with a cat. True. Some days you're Lord of the Rings. Some days you meet the feebles. This is true. Thank you again for joining me today. Yes. And you can find this podcast on anchor.fm slash failfilms101. You can find us on our website, failfilms101.com. All the episodes are posted on there as well. Um, we're also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, CastBox, Stitcher, Spotify, a multitude of po podcasting platforms. If you have any suggestions like Meet the Feebles or anything else, feel free to jump in and throw those at me. And we will have a delightful episode like this in between units starting on next tuesday we'll be starting our next unit wholesome family fun which covers movies that were very obviously intended for children and families but are not quite as wholesome as um as they should have been which i guess this was a perfect movie for in between a fine vintage and wholesome family fun because this movie was very not wholesome yes no it's the opposite of wholesome i don't know what that word is horrifying i would i would right go, it's horrific i would say yes terrible trash destructive it'll make you broken and you're beautiful and kelly clarkson can sing to you Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And this movie is actually available for free legally on, um, let me find the website real quick. Because anytime a movie is available for free through legal means, I like to um, point out where to find it. But yes, this is available at Tubi, which is a free TV and movie website. And again, this is all, this is a very legal website. It's tubitubitv.com. And just run a search for Meet the Feebles if you would like to smell the rotten milk as well. Smell this, it's terrible. Yes, exactly. Just be sure to heed the content warning before yes. watching this movie. I claim no responsibility for traumatizing any of you.
Yes, I also disavow any responsibility. I don't even know what we're talking about. Who are you? Why am I here? And on that note, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Thank you again, Dr. J, for joining me today. Thank you. And making me smell the milk. Yes. Thank you and good night. That was Dr. J. I'm Professor J. Class dismissed.